He was a pretender with a flute of false champagne in his slender hand made from dust. Chapter 33, page 262, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and oh my god, you guys, does Gansey need to install a LoJack and a nanny cam? Jeez. <laughs> This is episode 24, and we're covering chapters 31 through 33 of The Dream Thieves. We will also be taking a deep dive on Sir Thomas Mallory. Wait, what? You said pigeons. No, Sir Tom... Did you not get my text? No, like, Sir Thomas Mallory, you know? But but pigeons! We talked about pigeons! I had stuff on pigeons! But that was like a joke! That was... Didn't you get my text about... We're doing Mallory? (sighs) Oh. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) disclaimers this is an analysis podcast we'll be discussing the raven cycle as a cycle this means we are spoilerific so you'll probably want to have read the books before listening and also read text so you know which deep dives to do (laughs) all right (laughs) we'll use pronunciations from the audiobooks And page numbers will be referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan's wearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and no gray man violence. Nope, no gray man violence. All right. All right, let's get on to the episode. Sweet. We'll apologize for the late release, although that won't really matter for most folks. <laughs> and just for a future schedule, we should be back on track. We may still have a couple of bumps in the road just mm-hmm. because life hasn't really settled down so much. Also wanted to say that we don't have a specified deep dive for next time. So we're going to solicit questions. Yeah. Is that what you'd like to do? Yeah. If you have questions about the series or heck, even about us. Yeah. <laughs> or Dream Thieves or something that uh-huh. you'd like us to cover. Go ahead and send us an ask or a direct message. However you want to get in touch. So. Exactly. There are many ways. Many, many ways. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we don't have anything else to cover at the beginning. <laughs> I feel like that's so I short. <laughs> okay. Chapter 31. It's a Gansey Ronan blue point of view chapter. Gansey and Adam leave for DC in the helicopter, <laughs> while Ronan, Noah, and Blue are left behind to make trouble. Suddenly, Dad's gone and everyone starts breaking into his stuff. Sounds legit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's the day directly after the substance party, and I believe that this is a Saturday on the timeline. And as they took off, Adam leaned his head in his hands, his eyes glassily terrified, and Gansey, ordinarily a fan of flying, tried to be sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Adam is such an earthy character, and that combined with his social differences, mm-hmm. I totally get why he would hate flying. Mm-hmm. I'm with Gansey on this one, though. Like, despite my horrible fear of falling in most circumstances, I actually love to fly. Yeah, I actually love to fly, too. I still think that this has much to do with Adam's need for control, like we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. But I do like the idea that he's an earthy character. His name is Man Come From Earth. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So Gandhi's head was a tumble of burning cars and ancient Camaro wheels and the deconstruction of everything Blue had said to him. Gandhi is still on fire. Mm-hmm. And we're back to that list, this time including Blue instead of Orla's bikini in Gansey's head. Orla's bikini didn't even register. Uh-huh. He could still see Ronan where he lay on the roof of the BMW watching them ascend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt ridiculous to leave Henrietta, the epicenter of the universe, for his parents' house. There's a lot going on in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that even though they've been distant physically for years at this point, Helen still knows Gainsey well enough to pick up that there's something going on. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't know exactly what it is, but she picked up that there's something going on with him immediately. Right. Though he's kind of wearing that on his sleeve right now. Right. It's often commented that Helen knows Gansey really well. Gansey siblings are on the same wavelength. That's true. Gandhi looks down and sees Ronan sarcastically blowing him a kiss before turning his head away. Was that sarcasm? Maybe not. Or maybe it was blowing it to Adam. <laughs> right. I had the same thought, that it didn't necessarily have to be to Gansey, but mm. I doubt that it would be overtly to Adam. That's true. Ronan hasn't quite admitted that to himself yet, and it does seem like it's probably a sarcastic gesture coming from Ronan. Uh-huh. It was impossible for Gansey to consider what they'd do about Caveswater when Helen's voice sounded directly in his head. Yeah, that would be distracting, like, listening to the headphones and, yeah. Helen is amazing here, though. The texts are flippin' hilarious. Right. Tell her the centerpieces are in the garage, the bay farthest from the house. Of course not where the Adam Hour is parked. Do I look like an idiot? Don't type that. (laughs) Of course I know what a vegan is. Tell her they have to use olive oil instead of butter. Because cows make butter and Italians make olive oil. (laughs) Vegans vote too. Don't type that. Right. (laughs) I actually and honestly adore Helen. And my tag on Tumblr is Helen X me. (laughs) Crack ship party of one. Yep. She's pretty awesome. Yeah. So there's a big party tonight and a tea party and book club speech the next day. Mm -hmm. Is Adam looking ill because all of this is going to be happening? Or is it the flying? Or is it caves water? Or just all of it? Oh, all of it, I'd guess. Mm-hmm. Adam is terrified of the social interactions and the flying we already know is a big problem. Mm-hmm. And of course, Cabe's Water is trying to get his attention. Absolutely. Adam would have been mortified for Helen to know how nervous he was. I'm pretty sure she can guess, Dumplin'. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, this is the itinerary for the three days mentioned on page 188. Uh-huh. Helen landed the helicopter at the airfield and transferred herself, her overnight bag, the boys, and their suit bags to her silver Audi. These boys are useless. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The sun seemed more unforgiving on the backs of all the clean new cars, and the air through the vents smelled like exhaust and someone else's cooking. Gansey is so not at home at his parents' place anymore, if he ever was. Mm -hmm. Helen pulls into the Whole Foods parking lot on a mission for her hors d'oeuvres made by Italians. (laughs) Do you want to come in and help me? They stared at her. What a royal shock. (laughs) I'll leave it running, she said. Come on, guys. She flew to Henrietta to pick your asses up. Go push a damn chopping cart. (laughs) And then Adam melts in the back seat, saying he's praying I haven't grown since last year. Mm -hmm. Gansey had gone with Adam to get fitted for a suit the winter before. This is actually a really lovely detail, and it reminds us that there is a more supportive side to their friendship. Uh Uh-huh. 
So they're discussing party prep, and Adam asks Gansey to talk about something else. Gansey asks what there is to talk about, immediately thinks blue, and then mentally yells at himself for it. Gansey boy is messed up good about all this. Yeah. And honestly, someone needs to tell Adam about blue. I'd rather it be her, but maybe Gansey should at least give him a hint. Yeah, perhaps. So Gansey calls Mallory, and they're talking to him about the missing caves water, and suddenly a dreadful shriek rang out. What in the world is that noise? Birds, Gansey! The king of birds! <laughs> Gansey exchanged a look with Adam. An eagle? Don't be blasphemous! Pigeons! Oh my I god. I freaking love Mallory. I love Mallory too, <laughs> and also the king of birds? I love that Mallory considers this blasphemy, but honestly, I don't think that there's very much kingly about pigeons. <laughs> Me neither. I'm not sure Glendower would be pleased to be compared to flying rats. <laughs> Probably not. And in the Dream Thieves Recaptains, Maggie says, Mallory speculates that something might be robbing the ley line of energy. Then they talk a little bit about fancy show pigeons. You know, I wrote this book and that sounds crazy even to me. <laughs> So Mallory begins naming off types of pigeons he is seeing at the pigeon show he's attending. And they all have weird names and are mostly bizarre looking. Mm-hmm. There's like the Vorberg Shield Cropper, West of England Tumbler, Thuringian Field Pigeon, Anatolian Ring Beater, German Beauty Homer, which do not look like puffins. <laughs> German Beauty Homer. Oh, those are my favorite. I'm a fan of a good German Beauty Homer. Gansey, don't make light. Mallory said sternly. <laughs> More than anything, I love that Mallory knows that Gansey is pulling his leg. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Adam's body shook in silent convulsions of laughter. How often do we just see Adam being free to laugh? I know, it's it's kind of nice to see. Yeah. Let me take a gander, Mallory replied. Mallory, that's a totally different type of bird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. <laughs> also, feisty pygmy powders. And yes, I checked for that Tumblr. Yes, and confession time. I totally tried to get that for you on Gmail, too. <laughs> Maybe westofengland.tumblr.com? Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> there were West of England Tumblr pages. Yes. <laughs> So Gansey and Adam both immediately think of Blue at the mention of the pygmy powders Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then immediately crack up giving each other a glance and that just cracks me up too. Mm -hmm. She would not be amused. No, she would not be amused. (laughs) Gansey mouths Blue at Adam. Adam let out a little wail of helpless laughter. (laughs) Right. And then Gansey trying to guilt Mallory because he never took him to any pigeon shows is hilarious. (laughs) And then Mallory backhanding him with, we had other tasks at hand. I can just picture tiny 80-year-old Gansey and big 80-year-old Mallory on all sorts of ley line adventures. Uh-huh. So Mallory describes Caves Water as an apparition, and without a solid source of energy, it can only flicker. This makes Gansey think of Noah and Dollar City. Right. And this is a pretty solid insight or guess. And does Mallory have experience with apparitions then? Yeah, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. And they talk a little bit more about the way the ley line is working. And Mallory's like, so you see how your forest might be starved as well as overfed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a really interesting way to think about Mm -hmm. it. And then Mallory gets into what sounds like a bar fight at a pigeon show, (laughs) insulting someone's bird by calling it a sausage neck. How rude. (laughs) For all of his faults, what? 
being old? Yeah. Mallory was still Gansey's oldest ally. He had earned it. Literally and figuratively oldest ally. Mm, both in, like, length of time and age. Yeah. Gansey turned his eyes to Adam, who looked more like himself than he had in ages. I, like Gansey, would do anything to keep Adam Parrish smiling. Aww. Gansey vows that he will do whatever it takes to keep Adam that way, yet they argue pretty badly in just a few hours. And then Gansey promptly calls Adam's girlfriend for comfort. Mm. And so after they hang up with Mallory, they look at each other and, well, that was like pretty much useless. Mm -hmm. And Adam's like, well, we found out German beauty homers look like bloody puffins. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Do we want to put the deep dive in? Sure. All right. So I actually did get the text. So we did do... (laughs) I did actually look a little bit at Mallory. (laughs) But I did put together a little bit of stuff about pigeons. Right. Because, like, I started looking them up a little bit, and it was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. Because, like, guys, I'm an animal person. You know that. So if I counted correctly... There was a list of fancy pigeon types, mm-hmm. and I counted 749 types of show pigeons. Mm-hmm. 116 starting with the letter S alone. Wow. <laughs> Apparently, no other domestic animal has branched out into such a variety of forms and colors, which seems weird to me because, like, there are an awful lot of dog breeds, but mm-hmm. now there may not be 800. Right. <laughs> Charles Darwin is known to have crossbred fancy pigeons, particularly the ice pigeon, to study variation within species. Mm-hmm. And this work came three years before his groundbreaking publication on the origin of species. Right. It actually is the first chapter of the book. He talks about pigeons and rock doves and how he felt like they had come from rock doves, which has been genetically proven. I was about to get to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never sat down and read The Origins of Species. I've only read bits and pieces. It's not like I'm going to sit down and read it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pigeons are part of the family Columbidae and the order Columbiforms. And they are domesticated rock doves, Mm -hmm. as you just mentioned. Pigeons and doves are likely the most common birds in the world. The family occurs worldwide, but the greatest variety is in the Indomalaya and Australasia ecozones. Pigeon is a French word that derives from the Latin pipio for peeping chick, while Mm. dove is a Germanic word that refers to the bird's diving flight. Hmm. English dialectical word culver, which is also sometimes used to talk about pigeons, appears to derive from the Latin columba. Hmm. Doves and pigeons build relatively flimsy nests, often using sticks and other debris, which may be placed on trees, ledges, or the ground, depending on species. They lay one or two eggs at a time, and both parents care for the young, which leaves the nest but after 7 to 28 days. I like found that's a big difference, and a mm. week versus like a month is a big span. I actually used to breed doves. Oh, so, really? Yeah, white doves. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I would say probably around three weeks. I mm. suppose it would depend on how much danger they're in. Like wild birds might mm-hmm. have evolved to that get out of sense. the less yeah. thing. To be more independent faster. Mm. And unlike most birds, both sexes of doves and pigeons produce crop milk to feed their young, secreted by sloughing of fluid-filled cells from the lining of the crop. And young doves and pigeons are called squabs, which I find amazing. That's a great word. (laughs) They are also incredibly ugly. Yes, they They are. They are so ugly. (laughs) So all the varieties that Mallory mentions are actual varieties of Mm -hmm. show pigeons, and they're on that list. And some of them are super weird looking. Yes. Especially the German Beauty Homer. It's kind of like you took two pigeons and made a stretch pigeon, like a stretch limo. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, it's bizarre. It's like a dachshund of pigeons? It's like a what? Yeah, kind of. They're all stretching weird and they don't have the normal proportion of a pigeon. It's mm-hmm. bizarre. And do they you... most definitely do not look like puffins because puffins are short and squat. Yes. <laughs> and also black and white? Yes. <laughs> So one of the breeds I found interesting is called the roller pigeon. Mm -hmm. They flip and somersault in the air, and it looks really neat. I added a video to the show notes. Mm -hmm. They'll be flying, and then they just, like, take a nosedive and flip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually learned about them from an NPR podcast called Spooked, where there was an episode where a gentleman talks about growing up in Richmond, Virginia in the 60s, and how all the kids raised pigeons as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And rollers were the type that everyone wanted. So I shared a link to that episode where he's talking about them, and it has the bonus of being like, his story has a spooky twist, because it's like the ghost story podcast. The unfortunate thing about rollers is that they roll because of a genetic defect, right? and they're inbred to preserve that defect. Like most of these things are. Mm-hmm. And this leads to the birds being more vulnerable to raptor attack if they're allowed to fly in open sky. Mm. And as the rolls are actually the result of seizures, right? it can also lead to serious injury to the birds if they hit the ground. Right. So I shared a link talking a little bit more about that, too. And given the story of a roller named Violet who actually like had an injury because of mm. hitting the ground. Sad. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's what I did about pigeons, and now we can go on to uh, talking about Mallory. <laughs> right. So, Sir Thomas Mallory from Wikipedia, circa 1415 to 14th of March 1471, was an English writer, the author or compiler of La Mort de Arthur, originally titled The Whole Book of King Arthur and His Noble Knights of the Round Table. Since the late 19th century, he has generally been identified as Sir Thomas Mallory of Newbold Revel in Warwickshire. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, other candidates are put forward for authorship of Le Mort d'Arthur. Okay. So, the life of Thomas Mallory... Thomas Mallory was the layman writer, meaning unprofessional, first to provide an English prose retelling of the Arthurian legend in his Le Mort d'Arthur, published in 1485, and prose being the operative word because there were several poetry or verse style legends or collections. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned a little bit before, the actual identity of Thomas Mallory is debated. The first problem in identifying the figure of Mallory is that there are public records of at least three men with the same name alive during the period. Thomas Mallory of Papworth, Huntingtonshire, Thomas Mallory of Hutton Conyers, Yorkshire, and Thomas Mallory of Newbold Revel, Warwickshire. A scholar living in the 1500s declared that the true Mallory was actually a Welshman living in the area of Mailer on the England-Wales border. This native of Wales may also have been related to a known Welsh poet named Edward Rice Mailer. Biographical and linguistic evidence uncovered in the 1890s by H.O. Somner and George Kittredge suggests that Mallory of Newbold Revel is the most likely candidate, which reveals interesting information about his status as night prisoner. Mm-hmm. The Mallory of Newbold Revel... As a young man of 23, he was a respectable country landowner with a growing interest in politics, dealing in land, witnessing deeds for his neighbors, and acting as a parliamentary elector. Mm -hmm. By 1441, he had become a knight, and his life so far suggested a degree of political and social ambition. In 1450, for unknown reasons, he turned to a life of crime. (laughs) With 26 men, he ambushed the Duke of Buckingham and tried to murder him. 
He stole livestock and extorted money with menaces. He was accused of sexual assault on two occasions. Leading a small army of 100 men, he attacked Combe Abbey, terrifying the monks and stealing their money and valuables. Wow. Mallory was arrested and spent most of the 1450s in various prisons without ever coming to trial. He made his escape twice and was bailed out on two other occasions. Wow. So, the unknown reasons. Maybe, maybe not. So at this time, civil war had broken out as the houses of York and Lancaster fought for the throne in the War of the Roses. Mm-hmm. And rule swapped back and forth several times between them. And at one point, there were two kings, one from each side. Both of them were imprisoned by the other power. <laughs> wow. Mallory himself seems to have swapped sides. So he actually was in these battles. Uh, you know, he was actually a knight. Mm-hmm. He was first fighting with the Earl of Warwick on the side of the Yorkists, and that was possibly in France where one of his sources, the Vulgate Cycle, would have been popular. Mm-hmm. And then when Warwick later switched his allegiance to the Lancastrian cause, Mallory apparently followed. Uh-huh. He was imprisoned, and in 1468, he was specifically excluded from the list of Lancastrians granted pardon by the newest Yorkist king, Edward IV. And this was the time period where he began writing the Mort d'Arthur. So there was a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. In October of 1470, the Lancastrians returned to power and Mallory, among others, were freed. He died six months later and was buried at Greyfriars, Newgate. Although his tombstone was destroyed, his inscription survives in a 16th century transcript, which refers to him as a valiant knight of the parish of Monks Kirby in Warwickshire. Mm-hmm. So, Le Mort d'Arthur. The obscurity of the author stands in dramatic contrast to the unfailing appreciation and widespread public familiarity of Mort d'Arthur over the last four centuries. While Mort is often known as a retelling of earlier French romances following Merlin, Lancelot, and Tristan, and the English version of the history of the kings of Britain from Geoffrey of Monmouth, which we Mm -hmm. talk about in the deep dive from episode two, Mallory succeeded in changing the storytelling structure of the original materials into episodic conflicts and twists of fate. Mm -hmm. Mallory's work, written during his imprisonment in 1469, tells the story of the legendary King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, starting from Arthur's birth until his tragic death. Scholars Elizabeth Archibald and A.S.G. Edwards have observed that for over 500 years, Mallory's Mort to Arthur has retained an appeal that, with the exception of Chaucer's works, no other work of medieval English literature has sustained. The chivalry of Arthur's world was a far cry from Mallory's own, which was being torn apart by the War of the Roses. Despite the upheaval of Mallory's day, there was a strong revival of interest in chivalry in Britain's past. The adventures of Arthur's knights epitomized the self-same aristocratic values that were being eroded by the political opportunism of the War of the Roses. Loyalty had become an endangered virtue. Most Arthurian tales popularly circulated in the English-speaking world today are to some extent drawn from Sir Thomas Mallory's Mort d'Arthur, inspiring works by other authors and artists such as the poets Spencer, Milton, Tennyson, Arnold, Morris, and Swinburne, and painters Rossetti, Watts, and Burne Jones, and the operas of Wagner. Some <laughs> also of the- Once and Future King. Well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> the editions that were found are pretty interesting. So William Caxton's edition of 
Sir Thomas Mallory's Mort d'Arthur, was the basis of all editions of Mallory published before 1934, where there was a discovery of the Winchester Manuscript, which is the only extant medieval manuscript known of the Mort d'Arthur. Okay. The Winchester Manuscript was made within a decade of the author's death in 1471. Mm-hmm. Caxton's 1485 Mallory survives in only two copies. Currently, one is at the Pierpont Morgan Library in New York City and one at the John Rylands Library in Manchester, England. Interesting. In regards to the Winchester Manuscript, in it, Mallory identifies himself in person as a knight prisoner and asks for the prayers of all gentlemen and gentlewomen, requesting they pray that God send me good deliverance from prison. Mm-hmm. The manuscript has a sides and comments from Mallory and his scribes meant to clarify or draw attention to aspects of the work, and Mallory also included personal annotations within the actual text to give context to points in the text or, again, to point out specific issues. Mm-hmm. In some of his annotations, he praises the actions of various characters, reinforcing the fact that in writing the Mort Arthur, he's interpreting previous versions of Arthurian legend rather than creating new ones. Mm-hmm. And he compares the behavior of knights and ladies within the tale with that of his own contemporaries, for example, criticizing their failure to reward faithful service. Right. And this isn't in the notes, but one of the things that I saw was that he was writing a story about Lancelot. He was the one who brought Lancelot to the level that he is currently in the Arthurian tale. Mm -hmm. And in his notes or in his manuscript, he said... Well, for this section of the story, I lost my source material. (laughs) And it was like an embarrassing story about Lancelot. And there's some speculation that did he actually lose it? Or did he just not want to include that story? (laughs) It's interesting to look at Lancelot because a lot of the Lancelot and Guinevere stuff used to be Tristan and his old stuff. Right. That's where it was first. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's super interesting. And just an aside or a little bit of an extra, I did find a cool comic book and it was kind of an animated short adaptation of the various sections of the book. So I will put a link to those in the show notes. Cool. Because it was just like three to five minutes of each chapter and Mm -hmm. it was kind of a neat way to take it in. Yeah, I will definitely go and check that out. I haven't had a chance to yet. So we then skip to Ronan's POV and Ronan is back at Monmouth and the rest of this chapter is so strange to me. It's like everyone says, Gansey's gone, let's violate his space. It just really feels kind of icky to me. You're right. Like, now that I think about it that way, it kind of does. Yeah. It's like, oh, woo, Gansey's gone. Let's totally, like, Get all mess with stuff. all of his stuff and steal his car. And it's... <laughs> if someone did that to me, I'd be pissed off. So angry. It's like having a party in your parents' house when they go away for vacation. It's what it feels like to mm-hmm. me. And it just feels really icky, but... Anyway. So Ronan barely waits for Gansey to leave before grabbing the dreamed Camaro keys and seeing if they fit. Mm-hmm. It's like you're saying, it just feels so... Like, boom. Yeah. All right, he's gone. Let's see if I can steal his car. <laughs> in the summer sun, the pig glistened like a gem in the scrubby grass and gravel. This passage does feel like that type of hot, close summer day in high school when you have nothing to do but get in trouble. <laughs> Even just touching the car felt illicit. This car was so much Gansey's that it seemed as if somewhere, Gansey must be able to feel this minor transgression. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't doubt it. 
<laughs> yeah. He's like, wait, who's groping me? Wait, what? How is what? Uh, mm, mm, mm. Okay. When Ronan lifted his hand, it was dusted green. He was struck by the details of this moment. This was something he needed to remember when he dreamt. Mm-hmm. Of course, from later in the book, when he is picturing the dream pig before pulling it out, the language used is almost exactly the same as this current scene. He wasn't going to steal the car, not this time. Please, Ronan said, let me take it. He ran his hand across the elegant line of the roof. When he lifted his palm, it was dusted green. His heart thudded as he rubbed pollen-covered fingertips against one another. The air was suddenly hot, sweat sticky in the crease of his elbows, gasoline pricking his nostrils. This was a memory, not a dream. Mm -hmm. The Dream Thieves, page 322. And Ronan thinks to himself, if Ronan could dream like this moment felt, he could take anything out. He could take this whole goddamn car out. Right. (laughs) Thanks, Maggie. (laughs) Clue by foreshadowing straight to the noggin. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the dream pig is set up here. Mm -hmm. Maggie rarely surprises. She just drops in details that people ignore. Exactly. And I really love the action feel of these next few short sentences. It's full of tension and anticipation. Mm -hmm. She does this quite a bit in some pretty key scenes throughout the book, so we could look for that as Mm -hmm. well. A smile was working over his mouth, though there was no one to see it, especially because there was no one to see it. Mm -hmm. This feels so Ronan. Ronan hiding his happiness from Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. The vinyl was infernally hot in the sun. He knows he shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I also like the drop-in of infernal. He just Mm -hmm. filed that information away. It was yet another sensation that made the moment real instead of a dream. Mm -hmm. Gansey's heart would stop if he saw Ronan Lynch right here. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why is Ronan betraying his trust? I just don't get it. Yeah. Ronan turns the key, the engine starts, and Ronan grins, then immediately gets a text from Kavinsky. Mm-hmm. And how did Kay even get his phone number? Oh, wait, the bathroom wallet Nina's. <laughs> <laughs> My new wheels will blow you away. See you tonight at 11. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Kay knows that Kenzie's gone. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Then we shift to Blue's POV and Blue and Noah in Monmouth. And I'm going to say up front that I have a lot of conflicted feelings about this part of the chapter. I'll try to stay balanced, but I don't view this scene between Noah and Blue as being as cutesy and sweet as a lot of the fandom does. So I will do my best. It really actually bothers me quite a bit. I see both sides, but personally, Mm -hmm. it bothers me a lot. Yeah, I can understand. And and like... My first thought was like, oh, yeah, so cute. But like, now that you pointed out, I'm just kind of like, yeah, it is kind of bothersome. (laughs) Yeah. On multiple levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Noah lets Blue into Monmouth. And I love the way the descriptions here fill all the senses. Mm -hmm. The sun had made the space vast and musty and lovely. The warm air was scented with old wood and mint and 10,000 pages about Gwendower. Mm -hmm. And again, now it's Noah and Blue's turn to violate Gansey's space. Mm -hmm. And then Blue strikes me as being way melodramatic. Mm-hmm. It's like, although Gazy had been gone for only hours, it suddenly seemed longer. And like, this was all that was left of him. Yeah. It's like... Which makes it even more painful when Gansey makes a deal to give Monmouth to Childs later. Mm-hmm. When he's giving it to Aglinby. Like, this is part of Gansey's soul that he decides yeah. to give away. For Ronan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who doesn't need it? <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
So Blue asks where Ronan is, and Noah replies that he's making trouble. And boy, does that turn out to be an understatement. Uh-huh. It also echoes the, he's trouble, and that's not fun, that's trouble. Mm-hmm. Nothing we can do anything about, Noah says. Are you sure, Blue murmured? I can do a lot of things. And Noah says, not about this. Yeah, I'm wondering why Noah would say this. It's like, why not? And maybe Ronan needs an intervention. Yeah, it's weird. And Blue is suddenly hesitant to fully enter Monmouth, and she gets all tangled up in feelings of trespassing and anxiety. It felt like trespassing, because it is trespassing. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just like... I mean, on the one hand, like, they treat Noah as still a person, and it's Noah's space too. Right, and I'm sure if they had asked Gansey's permission, he would have been fine with Blue hanging out at Monmouth. With Noah, you know, maybe not making out in his bed. But <laughs> yeah. it's like the secrecy feels so underhanded and lascivious to me. Yeah. And maybe that's the excitement of it, I mm-hmm. guess. But I don't know. What she wanted was to somehow stuff all of Monmouth manufacturing inside her head and keep it there. Mm-hmm. So Noah notices Blue is seized by anxious longing and holds his hand out. Blue accepts it and together they turn to face the huge room. This is a neat twist on the usual trope of the young girl inviting the spirit monster into her home and room. Yeah, I actually like that a lot. Mm -hmm. I was struck by Noah took a deep breath. Do ghosts breathe? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they can, you just don't have to. Right. Then they go through and basically put their hands on every single thing they can. Mm-hmm. So Blue feeds Chainsaw a leftover hamburger, and this feels significant as Noah is otherwise home alone, and hamburgers signify death. Yeah, I mean, technically the hamburgers equal death thing is just a joke that I made that we've stuck with. So. I, no, I actually think, <laughs> think it works. It actually does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does. It's true. Yeah. yeah, they do show up at the weirdest death times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if Gansey still managed to inhabit the rest of the apartment, Ronan's presence was still decidedly pervasive in his room. And this makes total sense to me, including the part where Gansey's energy has diffused all over the place and Ronan's is super intense in just one spot. Right. Also, I don't think Ronan would have been as forgiving if he found out what Blue and Noah were up to. Probably not. (laughs) Noah lounged on the new sofa while Blue persuaded an old record player to play an LP too clever to interest either of them. (laughs) (laughs) The whole too clever LP thing reminds me of when I found an article about the avocado sausage pizza and the author of the article asked Maggie about it. She responded, you know, Gansey is the avocado half. He has dangerously hipster tendencies. (laughs) Dangerously hipster tendencies. I avocado and sausage pizza actually sounds good. (laughs) There is a place in Portland where you can get avocado on pizza because dangerously hipster tendencies. So Blue and Noah going through all the stuff in Gansey's desk while it's icky, it actually does kind of make an amount of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like dissipating the energy a bit, breaking the spell some mm-hmm. kind of. I like the repetition in the wording. Gansey's EpiPens, Blue withdrew a fancy pen. Uh-huh. It just kind of had a little bit of poetry to it to It me. does. And Blue copied Gansey's blocky handwriting onto Anino's receipt. First, have we seen Gansey's handwriting described before? 
Um, yeah, I'm. Uh-huh. We saw Gansey's handwriting pretty much. It was one of the first chapters, but I don't think right. we've seen Blue's handwriting. That's true. I don't think. I don't remember. Correct yeah, us if we're wrong. Gansey was like small and cramped, right? No. No, Gansey's no. was like with purpose. Yeah, that's right. Okay. It was either episode one or episode mm-hmm. two, but I think it was in one of the very, very first chapters of mm. the Raven Boys. So second, this feels like her taking something essential to him. His handwriting and making mm-hmm. it her own and i also find it interesting that she writes it on anino's receipt uh-huh yeah third doodling your boyfriend's name in a notebook is so cliche teenage girl blue <laughs> right although <laughs> it doesn't say she's copying his name but still yes yeah <laughs> so noah put on a preppy sweater he'd found bald under the desk so that's why gansy's favorite sweater needs a wash <laughs> possibly yeah she ate a mint leaf and breathed it in Noah's face, making Gansey less there or more there by kind of poking fun at his energy. Right. And again, can ghosts smell? <laughs> can they breathe? Can they smell? Mm-hmm. The crab walked along the aerial printout Gansey had spread the length of the room. And here's that map you thought that might be what the gray man noticed. Uh-huh. But wouldn't this have been even more obvious yeah. if it just spread out? And if the gray man had looked, one would think cave's water would be marked on it. Yeah. Like, in big red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He jotted enigmatic notes to himself all along the margin. Coordinates, explanations of topography, Beatles lyrics. This feels so like mystery movie to me, like looking at the conspiracy theorist wall of clippings connected with red threads. Uh-huh. And it's like, I love it. And I'm also amused by like the various assortment of info that you get here. Right. Okay, two absolutely vital questions. Number one, what do you think is Gansey's favorite Beatles song? Oh, uh, huh. Oh, man. That's a good one. <laughs> I want to hold your hand. Okay. I hold Old your classic hand. Beatles. Okay. okay. <laughs> I definitely was like, hey, Jude. I was thinking, hey, Jude, as well. Make it bad. It's a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart and you can start to, to make, make it better. better, better. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyway. Uh, Wait, no, no, no. And number two, who do you think is Gansey's favorite Beatle? This one uh, should be obvious. Paul? Yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> One hundred ten percent. So I'm not sure why. Why do you think it's Paul? Because he's the cute, like milk toast one. Uh-huh. And he's the kind of the head of it. Yeah. So okay. So Gansey's definitely Paul. Ronan, definitely John. Okay. <laughs> Adam, George, <laughs> and Noah is Ringo. <laughs> Yep, I spent time on that. Okay. <laughs> but but my first thought was like, Paul, but no, Paul should be Noah because Paul is dead. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but he's actually not. <laughs> is he? He's not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Blue and Noah curl up together on Gansey's bed, each taking one of his pillows. It feels illicit and drowsy. And yeah, that description feels pretty much perfect for what's Mm -hmm. going on here. Yeah, we'll just skip that. 
<laughs> yes, it is an invasion of personal space. Yeah, it's illicit because it's an invasion of personal space. Uh-huh. The sheet smelled like mint and wheatgrass, which is to say, like Gansey. Better than masking tape, I suppose. <laughs> I'm never going to get over that. <laughs> and Blue thinks to herself, I have a crush on Richard Gansey, letting herself think it was like popping a blister. And I, I've definitely had thoughts like that, where just letting yourself actually, like, admit it. Right. Yeah. Me too. And it's good to have her finally admitting it to herself. And, you know, even if it's just in her own head, because mm-hmm. it can be painful. And while I can't recommend popping a blister, <laughs> sometimes it's nice to get rid of the nagging pressure. Mm-hmm. Of course, the opposite truth also seems self-evident. I don't have a crush on Adam Parrish. This is true that she doesn't have a crush on Adam, but it's not necessarily related. Mm-hmm. It's like having a crush on one person does not preclude having a crush on someone else. Well, for a lot of people, it probably does, unless we're subscribing to the polyamorous theory. I mean... I'm just saying like, it doesn't necessarily have to work that No, <laughs> but it does for some people. Mm-hmm. And then Noah says, sometimes I pretend I'm like him. And Blue says, what part? Alive? And I'm just like, poor Noah. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. There wasn't really anything to say to make being dead better. Mm -hmm. Noah mentions the not kissing Adam thing and I think does a pretty good job helping Blue feel a little better about the way things are going. Mm -hmm. Even if he does have ulterior motives. (laughs) Yeah, I find it weird that he heard about how she won't kiss Adam. Like, heard about it from who? Eavesdropping little booger. Uh Uh-huh. Noah's like, he smells, right? And <laughs> Blue's like, he does not smell. Right. And she's like, again, can go smell? <laughs> this is a very important question for me. Uh-huh. Apparently. <laughs> so Blue explains that the whole, if I kiss my true love, he'll die prediction. And Noah says, Adam's your true love? No, Blue said. She was startled by how quickly she had answered. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, she's been telling fate that she was picking Adam because she knew he wasn't her true love mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So She couldn't stop seeing the dented side of the box he kicked. On the one hand, I completely understand an anger management problem being a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. On the other, I want to tell her she's being way too harsh on Adam. Mm-hmm. But as readers, we have access to more of Adam's thoughts than Blue does. Right. But we as readers also have more access to Blue's thoughts. And it feels like she's using this as an excuse to make herself feel better about her choices not to tell Adam the truth. Not that it isn't a valid reason, but like as we've talked about before, miscommunication is the actual issue in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And that does absolutely go for both parties. Absolutely. I agree. Noah asks of the prophecy, is it when or if? Because one's your fault. The other one, you just happen to be there when it happens. Yeah. Being dead made Noah more open-minded than most. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when you kiss him, pow, he gets hit by a bear. Totally not your fault. (laughs) You shouldn't feel bad about that. It's not your bear. Yeah. (laughs) Bear? Yeah. (laughs) God, I love Noah. Yeah, agreed. This is a hilarious way to describe it. However, it is also an odd way of looking at it. Like, do you agree that there's a difference between if and when? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe I can see his point. Okay. How about you? I do see his point. However, I feel like it's a pretty fuzzy distinction. Yeah, I mean, it's not like clear cut. Even if it's if you kiss your true love, that doesn't imply it's her fault, right? Which is the point he's trying to make is that 
when you kiss your true love, it means it's not your fault. But if you kiss your true love, it is your fault. Well, it's still not her fault. Mm -hmm. She didn't choose to have that curse. Right. Neither way is it her fault. So the distinction to me makes less sense because it's not her fault either way. Mm -hmm. If that jives. Yeah, I get it. Now I rubbed the smudge on his cheek. It didn't go away. It never did. He said, I know somebody you could kiss. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, poor sweet Noah. Yep. He seems to be putting the moves on. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make me feel any less bad for him. Yeah. (laughs) Who? She realized his eyes were amused. Oh, wait. Took you a minute, huh, Blue? Yeah. (laughs) He was maybe the only person Blue knew who could preserve the integrity of his shrug while lying down. Mm -hmm. I can totally see that. Yeah. It's not like you're going to kill me. I mean, if you're curious. Again, right. poor Noah. Yep. So I guess I share another thing in common with Ronan because this does not at all sit well with me. Mm. Yeah. I can, Yeah, I can see how it wouldn't. She tried not to dwell on things she couldn't have. You've been doing an awful lot of dwelling on a certain Mr. Gansey over the past book. And I have to say that, Miss Sergeant. Yeah. Well, I suppose she did say try. Right. So Blue agrees to the kiss and Noah blushes. Or rather, because he was dead, he became normal colored. Dead people have blood? <laughs> I'm very caught up on this whole being dead thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's a good thing because, like, we're really seeing him as a boy here. Right. And we're supposed to. Yeah. That's why it can feel cute. Because we're seeing him as a boy when actually, like, he's not. And so it's kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. Blue felt a thrill for half a second. No, more like a quarter second. Because after that, she felt the too firm pucker of his tense lips. His mm-hmm. mouth mashed her lips until it met teeth. The entire thing was at once slimy and ticklish and hilarious. Yeah. And this whole scene is kind of hilarious to me. Yeah. yeah bits yeah. of it. Yeah. So as much as I really do dislike this passage, on the flip side, it is written pretty wonderfully. Uh-huh. Blue considered wiping her mouth, but felt that would be rude. (laughs) And I totally felt that way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was all fairly underwhelming. First kisses usually are. Yeah, I've actually had these kisses with friends before where there's really no spark of attraction and it feels like kissing a family member. Mm -hmm. You're just like, yep, that was a thing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Noah's, wait, 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 I wasn't ready. As he, pu- <laughs> as he pulls one of Blue's hairs out of his mouth, has me flipping rolling. Yeah, my absolutely favorite is the next line. He shook out his hands as if Blue's lips were a sporting event and cramping was a very real possibility. <laughs> I can't help but laugh every single time. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. They keep trying and hilariously failing at the kissing thing for like a minute. She thinks it was a lot like kissing a dishwasher, I think. Cold, wet, and soapy? Foaming? Just like unpleasant and yeah. Is, but is Noah foaming? <laughs> I just. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing something wrong? Are you sure you've done this before? Sometimes it's better with tongue, he replied dubiously. I would also be dubious at this point. Mm-hmm. Hey, he protested. It's weird for me because it's you. And she replies, well, it's weird for me because it's you. Right. Again, I've 110% had this feeling. I remember, quote, it's like kissing my brother. It's weird. <laughs> And yep, this is the point where it's probably a good idea to call it quits, like they both suggest. Yeah. 
But then Noah suggests one more try, where they both imagine it's a kiss from a movie. Blue thinks of the kiss the dreaming tree had shown her. Didn't they call it the nightmare tree before? Ronan did, yeah. Okay. And boom, sparks. Right. She thought of her first and only kiss with Gansey right before he died. So technically, this might be her second kiss. Her first Mm. being with Gansey in the tree, her second being with Noah, and her third being with Gansey again. (laughs) Okay, maybe it doesn't work that way. The timeline is so weird. Then when they get it right, it is described really beautifully. This time it was more of a thought than a feeling, a soft heat that began at her mouth and unfurled through the rest of her. They were only the time that they held between them. Mm -hmm. And this does sound a lot like what happens with Gansey later. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Blue thought, so this is what I can't have. Mm-hmm. Blue thinks to herself that this didn't feel very different from other things she couldn't have, which was to say that it was unbearable, but she had to bear it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I kind of get that feeling. Right. It's living with the ache of deprivation. Mm-hmm. And they continued kissing and Blue begins to cry. Noah pulled back on an elbow and clumsily wiped away some of her tears with the heel of his fist. Mm. Noah starts to fade. It wasn't that she could see through him. It was that it was hard to remember what he looked like, even while she was still looking at him. Mm -hmm. I'd ask you out if I was still alive. Nothing was fair. I'd say okay, she replied. Really? You're still dating Adam. (laughs) That's the whole part I don't like about this. All right, continue. (laughs) She only had time to see him smile faintly, and then he was gone. It's like... This whole mm-hmm. scene is a roller coaster from hilarious to cute to heartbreaking to like yeah. icky and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I come out of it kind of bitter and angry, but again, <laughs> I understand I'm a minority. Mm. So Blue touched her mouth. It felt the same as it always did. Not at all like she had just gotten her first and last kiss. I think everyone has that thought to some extent that a physical moment like that will leave a physical difference. Yeah, I agree. So, as I said, I'm so, so torn on this scene because I can see where other people really, really love it. But I just can't get past the fact that Blue should have told Adam that there were problems far before she was kissing someone else in another boy's bed. Yeah. And, like, maybe it's petty, but I do think that the couple of scenes with Blue and Adam and the way that all of this spools out contributes a lot to why I'm not a huge fan of Blue. However, I will remind everyone that I like Blue a lot better in the next two books. I just have a really hard time with this scene. Mm -hmm. And like, I understand people like it. It's cute. It's funny. Like you said, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And yet, in my head, all I can see is like, what would Adam feel if he knew this was happening? Yeah. People do do this sort of thing to disconnect themselves from people that they are in bad relationships with. Mm. I understand all of that, too. It would be okay if they were communicative about it. Right, yeah. It is both, like, the effect of and the relationship would be made better by more communication. Right. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it is not really a shining moment for Blue. In my opinion, other people can obviously, like, <laughs> other people can love it. And I thought it was lovely, and I've I've laughed through it, and thought it was sad, and all of those things, too. Mm-hmm. But there's that part of me in the yeah, back I of mean, my you, head. Yeah, but, it is, it is yeah. funny and sad, and but it is also, like, not a good thing for Blue to have done. Right. And you can have both of theirs. Right. I agree. <laughs> okay. Okay. Chapter 32 is a Ronin POV chapter. 
So not only is Ronan hellbent on doing illegal stuff while dad friend is out of town, he suckers his adorable baby brother into doing it with him. Mm-hmm. They make a trip to the barns to figure out Niall's will, but they're interrupted by two dangerous creatures. Certainly nothing else can go wrong for Ronan today. Right. Ronan pulls up. Get in, Ronan said. We're going shopping, loser. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) Where are we going? Asked Matthew. But then he just jumped into the seat. (laughs) He's so darn agreeable. Uh huh. Matthew is the kind of kid that I'd be worried might be lured by some candy or a puppy. Right? I mean, Ronan's his brother, but he's also, you know, Ronan. Right. (laughs) Well, wait a second. I wonder if Kavinsky said he had a puppy in his trunk. (laughs) Just come on, there's a puppy in the trunk. (laughs) The interior of the car instantly smelled like a cologne sample. Boys of that age, I'm telling you. They think they have to bathe in this stuff. Of course, I suppose it's better than the stage before where they don't think they need to bathe at all. That's very true. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because, like, it goes from, like... Uh, mm -hmm, Two two younger brothers. 100% there. All right. (laughs) So Ronan says, well, we're going home. And home, yelped Matthew, clutching the door handle. He stared over his shoulder as if bystanders would divine their destination. Sibling danger! Sibling danger! Yeah. Yeah. And ugh, Ronan throwing a hissy and slamming on the brakes when Matthew brings up Declan just ticks me off. Yeah. It's like, come on, cut Declan a break for once and don't traumatize your little brother, dude. I know. (laughs) Little dimples appeared in Matthew's chin, the sort that had meant when he was three or four that he was going to cry. It's like, God damn it, that's not fair. I know. Matthew crying makes me want to cry. Me too. He did not cry. Ronan wished for half a second that he didn't hate Declan for Matthew's sake. Me too, Ronan. For longer than half a second. Yeah. Cry face. (laughs) Are you sure it will be okay? No, Ronan replied, because he always told the truth. Well, at least there's that. Right. Matthew put on his seatbelt. I love Matthew so much. He's so much more trusting of Vernon than I would ever be. (laughs) I thought the seatbelt thing was pretty adorable, too. He's just like, all right, all right, and strapping in. I know Ronan. (laughs) Vernon puts on a place of bazooki music, and I just had to look up what the heck that is. And it's apparently a stringed instrument of Greek origin. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of awesome looking and sound really cool. Right. So uh, I'm going to drop a link in the show notes to a page that talks about the history and has some music. Right. There are some differences between the Irish bozuki and the Greek, mostly uh-huh. in the way that they're tuned, the length of the scale, and the flat versus rounded backs. Mm-hmm. And they're actually closely related to the mandolin. Okay. Matthew hadn't played since Niall Lynch died, but he'd been pretty good at it before then. Right. So Ronan plays the pipes and Matthew plays bozuki. I had canon that Declan plays the fiddle. <laughs> but considering how much Niall apparently hated him, he probably plays the concertina. <laughs> Do you know what the concertina is? Uh, it's the tiny little accordion. Oh, that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the tiny little Irish accordion. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's like, I hate this child. He plays the concertina. <laughs> Ronan rationed the music from their old life, as if he used up a bit of his memories of his father every time he played it. I think I can understand that a little. Yeah. 
and Ronan drove home for the second time. This time felt different. It's kind of like, how would this feel? I know, right? It would be so, like... Surreal and sad and, yeah. And he thinks to himself that having Matthew along should have made returning to the barns feel more familiar than before, but instead, it only served to remind Ronan of how forbidden this was. Mm Mm-hmm. The sunshine made it a more anxious trip as well, as if the bright light left them more exposed as they drove down the driveway. Mm-hmm. And then they hide the car in a back shed and they cover it with vines. James Bond, Matthew remarked inexplicably, it seems explicable to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was incredibly cheerful. Now that seems inexplicable, but it is Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much my thoughts on those lines, exactly. Yeah. Matthew asks, what's that? Ronan held the puzzle box under his arm, a shoebox, and he says he never lies. Ha! Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just noted that line because I thought it was funny. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Matthew blinked. Then he said, okay. <laughs> Trotting ahead to the back door, he found the key hidden by the boot pole. <laughs> I both shake my head and smile indulgently. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I swear if I ever end up with a golden retriever, I'm naming it Matthew. Yes. <laughs> and he glumped up the stairs. The use of the word glumped, not only is it incredibly accurate for Matthew, but it's also a word that was invented by Lewis Carroll in Through the Looking Glass in the poem Jabberwocky. He left it dead and with his head, he went glumphing back. And I appreciate the additional, perhaps unintended nod to Alice in Wonderland in the Lynch household. Mm-hmm. Galumped is a really great word. And yeah, pretty much the perfect choice here yeah. for like a multitude of reasons. He heard Matthew's feet pound percussively up the stairs. It's like, I can hear this so clearly in my head. Mm-hmm. It's like loud young teenage boy. <laughs> yeah. Matthew's affection was a sloppy demonstrative thing, much like a puppy. Mm-hmm. And he had not seemed to know what to make of their now motionless mother. Can you imagine being like, what is he, like 15? Mm -hmm. And just seeing your mom like that? It would just be heartbreaking. Yeah. And also, to have found Matthew's mention of James Bond inexplicable earlier, Renan sure is acting a bit like him here. Right. Following more slowly, listening for sounds, and taking stock of the room before deciding that he'd be able to intercept Matthew if anyone else arrived. Right. His father had called this desk his office, as if his work had required a legitimate form of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, couldn't he have just dreamed up any paperwork he needed? Like, I mean... And he's thinking about his mother, and she must have known she was a dream thing. And a section from one of Maggie's earliest drafts, back when Ronan was called Sean, he's looking through Niall's notebook. He turned to the last page and let the journal drop from hands colder than the grave. The last line was burnt in his imagination as if he was still staring at the page. I had to do it. She wanted to try it so badly and I couldn't tell her no. I brought back Aurora. She's real. She can't remember anything of the dreams, but she's real. Real, real. Of course, it's not canon, Mm -hmm. but that's how it was originally. Interesting. It seems to me, like, in the books, that both Neil and Aurora knew what would happen to her when Neil died. Mm-hmm. Ronan thinks, am I a dream creature? Would I know? Well, you know, if he was one of his dads, surely he would be asleep. Exactly. Like, whose dream could he be but Neil's? And he knows what happened to all the living things his dad dreamed. Right. All of the boys had baby books with photos and hospital records. Ha! Ha! <laughs> 
Like, Niall couldn't dream those. I mean, Kavinsky also gives us a clue by dreaming a diploma later. Kavinsky turned his heavy-lidded eyes to Ronan, eyebrows raised. Check it. He lifted his dream things, a framed diploma. Joseph Kavinsky graduated from Aglenby Academy with honors. It was badly against Ronan's code to be impressed, much less show it, but the accuracy and detail was striking. (laughs) And that's page 315 to 316. It's a good bit of misdirection, though, for both us as the readers and for the characters themselves. Yeah, definitely good misdirection, because as we found out later, Matthew's documentation had to have been dreamed up. Right. It's like, hmm, I wonder if Neil dreamed up Matthew's social security number if they just used the dreamed up birth certificate to get him one? Yeah. Because like if it's dreamed, could Matthew be using someone else's social security number? Possibly. <laughs> there is a later bit that I didn't put in the notes here where the gray man's looking at the BMW and the VIN number on the BMW is Niall's birthday. Oh. It doesn't even have a VIN number, like an actual VIN number. So <laughs> if people aren't looking at it that closely, I guess. You'd have to get into school, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd have to be closely forged documents. Yeah. Right. Was something real once it had been taken from a dream? If so, was it real the moment he thought it? The eternal debate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a debate that's going to get even more exploration in the Dreamer trilogy. Mm-hmm. Declan was wrong. She existed apart from Niall Lynch. I'm sorry, Ronan, but existing is not living. A rock exists. <laughs> I kind of feel like you're right on this one, because even when Ronan puts Aurora in Caveswater, she never really feels like a whole person. Right. I agree. And as Ronan is perusing his father's will, there, right before his father's signature, this will stands as fact unless a newer document is created. Created, as we just had forged documents hinted at us. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Also, do you think Neil knew about the Tiralinthe and what the dream language actually was? Do you think he cared? I do think so, because if Tiralinthe are external forces, mm-hmm. but they occupy the dream space, and right. this gets into like what is the dream space, mm-hmm. then he may have encountered them before. And Opal often refers to it as the dream language. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that there's this undercurrent of the language that he would have picked up. Okay. My theory, anyway. Okay. If it worked in the dream, it worked in real life. I hate to say it, but much like his mom. Mm-hmm. Why would his father write the same thing in two different languages? Why indeed? <laughs> Why did Ronan need the puzzle box? And again, how could Ronan have manifested a puzzle box that answered a question that he didn't even know he needed to ask? Oh, very good question. Mm-hmm. Or if it was a secret message, he wasn't clever enough to decode it. In Blue Lily, Lily Blue, he would definitely bounce this past Adam for mm-hmm. advice. You're right. Matthew crashes into the room, saying that there's someone in the house. It was impossible, but the hair on Ronan's neck crept up. He feels the night horror's presence. It makes sense to me that he would, because they come from him, from his darkest fears. Mm -hmm. The night horror. Ronan didn't think. He threw himself across the room and dragged Matthew inside. Ronan is all action, especially when he's afraid. Mm -hmm. They scrambled a pile of furniture in front of the door, and Ronan stretched out an arm and hugged his brother's curly head once hard. He pushed him away. This gesture is so desperate and sweet. Mm -hmm. He really does love Matthew. Yeah. Ronan says that the night horror is only interested in him, and Matthew sits next to Aurora Lynch, holding their mother's hand. I picture him sitting there like a wide-eyed five-year-old. Totally how I picture it, too. 
Ronan's like, if it gets past me, don't wait. Just fight. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Matthew could, even beyond the obvious reasons. Yeah, like, yeah. that he wouldn't be alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ronan thinks that he never should have brought Matthew with him. Poor Ronan. The person he loves most in the world is in danger because of him. He's completely willing to sacrifice himself for Matthew, mm-hmm. not knowing that him dying would also be the end of Matthew. Right. And I feel like this scene is intended to show how much Ronan panics when Matthew is in danger. So we have context for how Ronan reacts when Kay kidnaps Matthew later. Mm-hmm. Then they hear the sounds of something human moving on the other side, and the brothers scramble again to hide. This time, it was quite clearly a someone rather than a something. Like Shannon pointed out in the last episode, with Ronan thinking something other than Kavinsky had trashed their place, I had the thought that of course Ronan would know that there was an escaped night horror on the loose that could have easily trashed their place. I had actually not even thought about the night horror when I brought Mm -hmm. that up. That's Mm -hmm. a really good point. Yeah. And also, where do you think the night horror goes here? And why does it leave? Because the gray man doesn't see it no i have no idea i have no idea where if it hid in the house waiting or Mm -hmm. obviously we don't we don't know yeah we don't know just an interesting thought there yeah it's obviously smart enough to leave Mm -hmm. and there was an audible human sounding sigh on the other side of the door and the shuffling of feet on the floorboards was clearly produced by shoes i just picture the gray man just being so over this job Mm -hmm. and just like showing up most when he's alone right (laughs) he's just like (sighs) (sighs) this sucks A strange man walks in, one that Ronan has never seen before. The man's interest was snagged by Aurora Lynch on her chair in the middle of the room. It would take nothing at all to spring Ronan from his hiding place if he so much as touched her. Mm -hmm. Action. It is how Ronan shows every emotion. Right. Why are you walled up here? The stranger asks. Another reference to Aurora as a princess. Mm -hmm. And this one, to me, sounds like Rapunzel. It does. Though Sleeping Beauty is behind a wall of thorns in a lot of versions. Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The gray man turns to leave, but the puzzle box on the desk catches his eye. Is it a box? It is now. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I love how Ronan's immediate reaction is basically a facepalm. Right. (laughs) Ronan put his fist to his forehead. He wanted to go after him and recover it, but he couldn't risk discovery. Mm -hmm. Ronan had no way of knowing if he'd ever dream it again. It's not Mm -hmm. something from his head. Right. Matthew pressed up against Ronan's side, reminding Ronan of Chainsaw when she was frightened. Dream things, am I right? Heart. (laughs) As they leave, Ronan felt in his pocket for his keys. There were two sets, the BMWs and the false Camaro's keys. I feel like this is just a mistake in the text, but the Camaro has a possessive apostrophe S here. The false Camaro's possessive keys, not the false Camaro keys. It's Uh a weird typo that feels like foreshadowing. It kind of does, and I I hadn't caught that. Yeah. Chapter 33. It's an Adam POV. Adam and Gansey make their way through the glittering court of the political elite, filled with fraudulent champagne and even more fraudulent smiles. (laughs) There seems to be an uninvited party guest, though. Cabe's water crashes the gala, (laughs) desperate for Adam to acknowledge it. Who knew a sentient magical forest would also have abandonment issues? <laughs> okay. If the substance party was unseely, this is definitely the opposite. This is Gansey's kingdom and Gansey's court. There's a ton of reference to wealth, of course, but also to royalty. 
Mm-hmm. And not exactly Gainsey's kingdom, though. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like he's a visiting dignitary mm-hmm. in, in a way, because he kind of feels out of place and wants to be back in Henrietta so badly. That's true. We start out with basically a floating POV for the first page or so. It zoomed out above the boys in the mansion. You're sort of up looking above. Mm-hmm. It starts out by saying that Gansey was 92 miles away from his beloved car, which this is, you know, he's not feeling groped right now. So (laughs) a couple of paragraphs later, it says they were 97 miles away from Adam's childhood home. And I find the specificity in distance rather charming. Me too. I also think it goes to show again how much Gansey doesn't want to be here right Mm -hmm. now. It removes him from Henrietta. Mm -hmm. Gansey is wearing a furiously red tie and a suit made of tasteful pinstripe and regal swagger. First, the red tie equals Republican. Second, the regal swagger is Gansey the King. Yep, I noted these as well. And then Adam. The suit was Adam's silken armor. Armor to me implying a knight. Indeed. And also, it was the most expensive thing he had ever owned. A month's worth of wages translated into worsted wool. That's a pretty expensive suit. It's what a nice suit costs. Mm. Premium grade fuel, not regular like the rest of us plebes. I sure don't buy premium. No. (laughs) Somewhere a violin sang with vicious victory, and I can just hear the kind of peace that that would be. Mm -hmm. We have this beautiful description of all of the cars that are parked outside, a puzzle game of vehicles. Mm -hmm. You can so tell Maggie loves cars because she's so good at describing them. Mm -hmm. Tuxedo black sedans, cello brown SUVs, Mm -hmm. silvery two-seaters that could fit in the palm of your hand, sweating white coupes with diplomatic plates. Just like a quick aside, speaking of tiny silvery cars, I used to have a Prius, Mm -hmm. and several times after it was totaled, I dreamt I ran across it again, perfectly functional and fine, Mm -hmm. and I folded it up into a briefcase and happily took it home. (laughs) Don't you wish you were a dreamer? (laughs) Just pop it out. I would love to have my Prius back. Yeah. So here's a snippet about this scene from a post Maggie wrote about literary fiction and the purpose of symbolism in her books. Oh, I had such plans for this party scene. I wanted the reader to see it just like I did. The all-encompassing luxury, warm and old and unquestioned. The complexity of the political world, the beauty of wealth, and the stagnation and corruption of old, unchallenged value systems. Adam, as my point of view character, is feeling and thinking about all of these things, and I wanted the reader to experience it with him. I could have told the reader all of those things, Point blank. I could have gone with a bare bones description of the driveway. The circular driveway was packed with so many elegant vehicles that the valets had to turn cars away. And then just had Adam muse in italics about his feelings on being there. But then you would only know it. You wouldn't have experienced it. Interesting. And the valets are sitting there smoking. Rose blooms rotted on the bushes beside them, sweet and black. Reminds me of the rose on the ley line, or is something else rotting? Yeah, I thought about this too. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question. It's just a weird little detail, Mm -hmm. right? Adam thinks that he didn't care for flying or for being seen arriving in a helicopter. It's like, why not? Was this the dream or was his life back in Henrietta? He immediately follows those thoughts with, he'd spent 30 minutes scrubbing grease from his fingertips before they'd left. 
he feels like he's pretending that he doesn't belong here and he thinks everyone here will see that. Mm-hmm. The view through the doorway was a collage of pantsuits and pearl necklaces, Vuitton and Damask. All of the descriptions really are crafted to not only convey opulence, but to also overwhelm. Exactly. Jesus Christ, Gansey said tragically. Oh, well. He flipped an invisible piece of lint off the shoulder of Adam's suit and placed a mint leaf on his own tongue. It's good for them to see your face. And you're correct. It is completely overwhelming because even Gansey is overwhelmed here. Mm -hmm. He seems to be claiming the comforting habits, the mint, to do what he thinks needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Then, somewhere in there was Gansey's mother stretching out her hands to the hungry DC off-the-rack suit crowd, offering them treasure in heaven in return for votes. (sighs) And Gansey was part of the sales package. Yeah. Yep. Everyone knows it, and Gansey and Adam and I find it really gross. (laughs) True. Those shiny awkward Oxfords and velvet pumps were the nobles Adam sought squireship from. Again, it's that language of knighthood. Where Gansey is the king, Adam feels like he is a supporting retainer. Yeah, I noted this as well. Who are these people, Adam thought, to think that they know anything about the rest of the world? Good question, Adam. Good question indeed. Mm -hmm. And how might this chapter be different in today's political climate? I personally think it reads about the same as it would today, because the seeds of what we're seeing today have been there since Reagan, at least. At least. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking about it's been there for 200 years, basically. Yep. If he reminded himself it was only a means to an end, it was a little easier. The most Slytherin thing to ever slither from a Slytherin. Yep. And then he thinks to himself, besides, Adam was good at hiding things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sad face. Yeah. Gansey greets some of the guests, and he was completely at ease, a lion on the Serengeti. The king of beasts, like pigeons, are apparently the king of birds. <laughs> I actually looked it up, and eagles are indeed the king of birds. <laughs> Mallory, take that. <laughs> Blasphemy. And just like that, the Gansey who Adam had befriended, the Gansey he would do anything for, vanished, and in his place was the heir, born with a silk umbilical cord wrapped around his blue-blooded neck. God, this is so fucking fantastic. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's like Gansey has all this privilege and he feels so trapped by it. Mm -hmm. It's like despite the independence he craves and works so hard for, he still feels tied to his family and this life. And even though he wants nothing to do with it, really. Yeah. And then there was Helen, deliberately effete and decidedly unattainable in a black sheath, her legs longer than the driveway. (laughs) Everything smelled of puff pastry and ambition. Everything here feels fake, but Helen is hot. (laughs) Yes, yes. 17 years before, Adam had been born in a trailer. It's just an establishing detail regarding Adam's age. Mm -hmm. The ginger ale is described as sweet and fraudulent. Again, that's so good. It's a very concise and the E word, say it with me now, evocative. (laughs) a hand slapped the back of adam's neck he flinched badly he's instantly in ptsd flashbacks Mm -hmm. he could never seem to leave henrietta behind flipping behind the memory of biting stars overhead the fact of this present day assault and from the chapter of adam's assault above him the stars were brutal and clear And that's The Raven Boys 338. 
I feel so bad for him. And, like, this whole thing is not helped by the booming, we always need young blood. Oh, God, yes. So freaking creepy. He sees an apparition looming behind his eyes. Is Cabe's water reacting to his distress? Quite possibly. It does Mm -hmm. it multiple other times. Right. Gandhi jumps in, trying to save Adam. This is Adam Paris. Shake his hand. He's cleverer than I am. One day we'll be throwing one of these things for him. Gansey is once again playing the wingman, only this time Adam is courting jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully this one will go better than the last Mm -hmm. one. (laughs) More ginger ale. No, this one is actually Sam Payne. Adam did not drink alcohol. Good plan. You're underage. (laughs) Though I know people who don't really drink for similar reasons to Adam's real ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Gansey smoothly took the champagne flute from him and placed it on an antique desk with ivory inlay. With a finger, he slicked off a single drop of red wine that stained the surface. I love that description for some reason. I, I don't know what it is about it, but I, I kind of love it. Well, in a way, the Gansey taking the champagne flute, it means that Gansey is still cued in to Adam. Right. And then there's more falsity. Gansey talked women into confessing their names and then made them believe that he'd known them all along. Mm-hmm. He always called Adam Adam Parrish. Everyone always called him Dick. Both of those are like, that's not That's them. not who they are, right. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm enamored of the idea of Adam holding a literal bouquet made of business cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is really, really good imagery. A spirit touched his elbow. Not here. Not now. He's desperately trying to push Cabe's water down and ignoring it. Mm-hmm. He eventually learns this hurts more than it helps. Mm-hmm. Gansey was an embroidered tapestry of a young man, the hoped-for youth of America, the educated princeling son of Mrs. Richard Gansey II. Princeling, again, royalty, but more importantly, think about that internal, anxious Gansey and how he had to learn these coping skills. Exactly. Helen walks up eye-to-eye with Gansey in a pair of black pumps that were sensible on every other woman in the room and unreasonably sexy on her. (laughs) Helen is much shorter than I pictured because Gansey's not that tall and Adam is having the bisexual panicot flashes right now. He sure is. Helen was not the obtainable sort. <laughs> you could love the sleek, efficient beauty of a brand new bullet train, but only a fool could imagine it would love you back. Honestly, I think Helen would be pleased with this comparison. I think she would too. It's a really good one. Yeah. She tipped her head back and looked at the tree-painted ceiling. To Adam, the intricate branches seemed to be moving. Mm. Fortuitous that they have a fresco of a forest, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. She's looking for the keys of a car because mom wants me to do a booze run. And all I can think is... B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. And I'm like, oh my God, it has been so long since I heard that song. And like, I saw that, I had to put it on. Oh gosh. Oh <laughs> Lord. <laughs> we're old. I didn't think you were a country person. <laughs> it's not a country song. It's a comedy song. <laughs> she notices Adam. Oh, Parrish, you clean up well. She meant nothing by it, nothing at all, but Adam felt an ice chip pierce his heart. Mm. It's interesting seeing Helen being tactless. Mm. Like, the Gansies are only good with this facade if it's with people of their own social stature. Yeah, it's an interesting moment. And I think you're onto something with that whole social stature thing, because that seems to be, like, how it usually works. And I also like the Gansies, like, just shut up. Right. It's like, yeah. Through the whole chapter, he is protecting Adam. Mm, You see it on every turn, but 
from Adam's point of view, it almost feels like he's not recognizing it. Mm -hmm. Helen asks why they didn't bring the other one. (laughs) For a fleeting moment, Adam could imagine it. The brocade curtains and decaying flames, the decorated consort screaming from beneath the harpsichord, (laughs) Ronan standing among it all saying, fuck Washington. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh yeah. Ronan (laughs) says this for the first time when Gansey is complaining about having to go to the party. Nature already gave you a spine. You know what I say? Fuck Washington. <laughs> this is why you never have to go to things like this, Gansey replied. That was page 25. It is such a funny thought. It yeah. would be, oh my God. such a freaking disaster, but it would be <laughs> so a, fun to read about. Just a disaster. Oh, and then the party gets strange. It had become a devil's feast. Will-o'-the-wisps caught in brass hunting lamps and possibly bright meats presented on ivy-filigreed platters. Men in black, women jeweled in green and red. Again, it's that fey influence to me. It feels like a seely feast where everything looks beautiful on the outside, but might be rotten underneath. And you'd better not eat anything or you'll never be able to leave. Mm-hmm. I noted this too. And I also found it interesting that it mentions Will of the Wisp, mm-hmm. which are specifically chops to lead you away yeah Yeah. but the will of the wisps were mentioned as caught in brass hunting lamps so they're chopped themselves Mm, that's a good point the painted trees of the ceiling bent low overhead adam was wired and exhausted here and somewhere else he is in two places at once yep absolutely gansey's mother is mentioned she played a beloved but rare wraith the queen of the court. Indeed. Although everyone recalled seeing her, no one could actually locate her at the moment of recollection. Yeah. She's such a fairy. Such a fairy queen. Right. A woman tries to guess Gansey's age. Adam knew that she had sensed that otherness to his friend. Gansey was both young and old, that he'd only just arrived or he'd always been. Cave's water is close and it seems to be pulling out his timelessness. Yes, I noted this too. And Gansey says when she asks, 17, ma'am. Maggie has said that Gansey is the youngest, which means he would have been born after Ronan in November, but before St. Mark's Eve on April 24th. Mm-hmm. And I think I did a little bit of calculation on Gansey's birthday in the holiday special episode and concluded he was likely born in December. Of course, you sat down and figured it all out <laughs> <laughs> because it's you. And also youngest of the boys, right? Or is he younger than Blue? He's youngest. He is the youngest, youngest. of Blue. He's yeah. younger even than Blue. Because he's the only one who does not turn 18 in the books. So Adam turns 18, Blue turns 18 in August, Ronan turns 18 in early November, and Gansey does not turn 18 in the books. Uh Aha. Yeah. Also, I love how Gansey saying his age out loud settles things. Mm -hmm. It's like, of course he was 17 and nothing else. Something like relief passed over the woman's face. Mm -hmm. Adam felt the press of the candied tree branches overhead. To his right, he caught a half image of himself in a gold framed mirror and startled. For a moment, his reflection had seemed wrong. And then from the shower scene in St. Agnes, from inside the sloped old shower, he caught a half image of himself in the mirror and startled. For a moment, something about his own reflection had seemed wrong. Mm-hmm. literally the same wording. And that was on page 61. The spirits are trying to get his attention. It was happening. No, no, it's not happening. Not here. Not now. Mm. 
In the meantime, a woman is asking Gansey if he's still looking for those crown jewels. Gansey explains he's looking for an actual king, a Welsh king from the 15th century. This leads to laughter, which Gansey joins in, relieving any awkwardness. And Adam is aware enough of what's going on at the party to make a mental note that this is a way to uh-huh. diffuse. Yeah. Mrs. Gansey appears, looming at the corner of his vision like a materialized dream, like caves water, like one of the apparitions. She's intrinsically beautiful. It seemed right that an entire party should be thrown in her honor. She was a worthy queen for the evening. Just so much fae queen imagery, like yeah. just straight up. Yeah. I just love the difference between the unseely and the seely. Uh-huh, I just love absolutely. it. Absolutely. Even though that's just my interpretation. No, I get it. Like, yeah. It makes sense. A woman asks Gansey, you must be off to college soon. The violins shrill in dramatic music and Gansey falters. <laughs> there was only time enough for Adam to see the gap. Gansey knows he will be dead in less than a year. He has no future and no reason to go to school. Mm-hmm. And from the Raven King, what have you put in for college already? Helen asked. There was danger in her voice. Gansey blinked up. None yet. Time got away from me. It was the simplest possible version of theoretically I am to die before it matters. So I used my evenings for other things. Mm-hmm. And that's the Raven King, page 301. Yeah. What do you say in a case like that? Like, mm-hmm. just, <laughs> yeah, you can't really say anything. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. I didn't go to school or I'm not going <laughs> to put in applications. Send you to a therapist. Yeah, you know? It's like, I, I mean, he needs one. But yeah, that's beside <laughs> anyway. the point. And Adam notices this and had a brief ferocious joy that they could get to Gansey as well. How he hated them. Yeah, I thought that was odd. Like, I think he's just making an assumption because he doesn't know why Gansey might falter. Like, Mm. that he thought maybe the question was what threw Gansey off and not the thought that Gansey wasn't going to be able to go to college. Mm. But it's a, you know, it's an interpretation. I think he is definitely talking about the people around them, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he was a pretender with a flute of false champagne in his slender hand made from dust. Mm-hmm. That's really so good. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Gansey leaves Adam to speak with a stranger, the woman that they've been talking to. Mm. With a jolt, he realized that he intimidated her. For perhaps the first time in his life, someone was looking at him and seeing power. Is Adam getting his first taste of white male privilege? Being worthy just by existing? I think he is. Yeah. His mind swam with the noise of this glittering company, the shimmer in the bottom of his champagne glass, the knowledge that this was the future if he speared it. Mm-hmm. Again, I have to contrast this to Kavinsky's substance party, how this is the light and glittering kingdom of prosperity. Exactly. I marked this section too. Then Adam's internal thought, he was in a forest, whispers pursued him, not here. He's in both places at once, here mm. at the party and in Cave's Water. Right. He was dissolving in a hallucination of ghostly guests alongside the real ones. Mm-hmm. And in the real world, quote unquote, Adam thinks, don't you know what I am? But this flock of peacocks was too busy fooling to notice they were being fooled. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the lights crackle, dim, and then go out entirely. Caveswater is pulling energy from the ley line, desperate to get Adam's attention, forcing manifestation and draining the party. He thinks, not now. He knows that this is Caveswater. Yeah, he's fighting so hard to stay at the party. Mm-hmm. 
This is what happens to Aglinby in the real world. This is how you use that education you've worked so hard for. This is how you get out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A high song floated through the dark. A chorus of women's voices, pure and thin, spreading from a thread of sound to a river of one. The description of this sounds absolutely beautiful. Like, I freaking love choral music. Beautiful and very eerie. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Rex Corvus Parate Regis Corvi. This chorus is singing what the false blues from the tapestry say later as Cabe's water is being dissolved. Three figures, familiar, impossible. It was three women wearing Blue's face. Make way, they said together. Make way for the Raven King. The women said again, and then they were in front of Gansey. This is page 71 to 72. Yeah, I made this connection too. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in this darkness, Gansey was hearing this too. Adam could sense him hearing it. Is Adam making a connection to the Cabe's Water part of Gansey? Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. And Adam thinks to himself, these voices were true in a way that nothing else had been that day. It's interesting that he finds the magic more true than reality. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he would admit that, but yeah. Yep. Adam remembered all at once what it felt like to feel, to be real, to be Adam, instead of my friend Adam Parrish, give him your card. Mm-hmm. Cabeswater is giving him his identity back, and he thinks what a huge difference there was between those two things. Mm-hmm. Adam needs to be his own man, not Gansey's sidekick, as he's been all through this night, or he thinks he has been. And this may well play into the argument that he and Gansey have later. Yep, almost certainly. And the woman who Adam has been talking to asks, Was that Spanish? Gloria Elgin asked. Latin, Adam said, trying to find Gansey's face in the crowd. His pulse still galloped. It was Latin. Mm -hmm. Adam says to his companion that it was probably a brownout. Adam, as always, is quick with the solution. Mm -hmm. The business cards in his pocket felt irrelevant. Cabeswater is calling to the innermost part of Adam, the one that doesn't need business cards. Exactly. Everything is suddenly crystal clear to him. Mm -hmm. He was still searching for the only pairs of eyes in the room that mattered. Adam could still sense the power of the newly wakened ley line surging beneath him all the way back to Henrietta. So the Gansey's DC home is on the ley line. Uh, At least close. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah. Underneath him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The partygoers are referenced as a glittering host, which again, very fey, that had already moved on, but not Adam or Gansey. They were the only two living things in this room. <laughs> Adam feels like shouting at Gansey, this is why I made the sacrifice. This is how he would find Glendower. He, not they, not Gansey. It seems very selfish here. It does, but I feel like one of Adam's goals in making the sacrifice was to find Glendower for Gansey. Much, much later, I think, because here he wants the favor for himself. Mm, That's true. Okay. That's it. (laughs) That's it for the chapters, which is good, because that was long. It was. All right. Do you have an MVC? I do. Okay. Who's going to go first? It's kind of a silly one. Uh Uh-oh. It's probably the same as my silly one. Mallory? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That is really good, though. (laughs) Who was yours? I was going to pick Noah. Aw. Yeah. I just, (laughs) I mean... 
you know, regardless of the fact that I, mm-hmm. you know, had feelings <laughs> about that scene that might not have been as positive as some others. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that scene for Noah. He's mm-hmm. pretty great in it. Noah's a good choice. Yeah. All right. Are we right? going to? Okay, let's do this. Shoot. Oh, oh Noah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mallory will get it later. I'm he sure. will definitely get it later. <laughs> I love Mallory so much. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, that was a very quick MVC as well. Maggie, watch. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Maggie posted a first pass title page for Call Down the Hawk, and it features the ley line symbol. Who knows if this will stay through the final design, but it made me really happy to see it. Uh-huh. She's also been posting more of her schedule for Book Expo in New York, which you can get details about by visiting www.bookexpoamerica.com. I wish I could go, but obviously mm. New York, and it's not going to yeah. happen. So, And then a supporter shout out. There have been so many people because it's been a while since we recorded and that unfortunately means we're catching up with folks. Mm -hmm. So several listeners have been really super awesome over the last, I don't know, six weeks, I guess, including this post from a lost girl of Neverland on Instagram. They said, if you love the Raven cycle as much as I do, which is a lot, I'd highly suggest you check out the Raven Girls podcast. They're absolutely my favorite podcast. Aww. And then... We're somebody's favorite. Well, there are actually lots of people say that. So (laughs) for everyone who says that... Yeah, it it still makes me go like, heart, heart, I know. (laughs) We don't believe it sometimes. (laughs) In each episode, they discuss a few chapters and take deep dives on specific topics relevant to the chapters. <laughs> I've never encountered a podcast made with such care and detail. Oh. And both Shannon and Navita bring great discussion to the series and have helped me to appreciate it even more, which I didn't think was possible. Oh my god! So that was very sweet. And thank you for posting that on Instagram, because that's not a platform we're super active on. But it's nice to see that. And then I also wanted to say thank you to Amanda for sending us a procrastination email where they compiled all of our MVCs from every episode, including who was nominated and who won, (laughs) because that was something that we'd been meaning to do anyway. And that was amazing. It's unbelievably helpful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And to Harmony, who sent me an email with their thoughts on how the TRC characters each display different traits of oh, masculinity. That's awesome. thank so, you. thank you for that. And feel free to, again, continue to send those our direction because that is still in the works. So, thank you all for, for all of that. All right. As we said at the top of the episode, we'd like to solicit questions for a deep dive. Yes. Or in the place of a deep dive, I should say, for next episode. We don't have anything right now planned, Mm -hmm. so we'd love to just answer some questions we already have in our ask box, or you have a couple of days, because I think this will go out just a couple of days before we record, to send us new stuff. (laughs) That would be great. Thank you. that'd be awesome. That, I guess we wrap up, huh? We do wrap up. Thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 34 through 39 of The Dream Thieves. And like we said, instead of a deep dive, there'll be questions. Mm-hmm. So send those in. Also, we still need to schedule our Fast and the Furious. Yes, we do. Oh my gosh, we're running out of time. <laughs> I know, because that's this episode. 
So we better do that. Like, we have to do that. <laughs> All right. All right. We might live tweet. I have tweet. free time. We might live tweet Fast and the Furious. <laughs> that would be awesome. However, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of time, except for right now. So don't worry about that. But follow us online for announcements and send us your thoughts. We would love to hear whatever contributions you might have or questions, theories, etc. Mm-hmm. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. Right. And you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or at gmail at <laughs> substanceparty with all of the A's taken out, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. <laughs> if we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Steve Otter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! Oh my god. <laughs> you still hate it. Ah, okay. Did we potty? You potty. I I pottied. Okay. We ready to potty. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, we already pottied. We already (laughs) pottied. Oh, my God. Why am I singing a potty song? (laughs) Because I sang it first. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. (laughs) Alrighty then.